You're listening to the Transformative Podcast brought to you by the Research Center for the History of Transformations at the University of Vienna. are listening to the Transformative Podcast with me, Rosamond Johnston, and I'm joined today by Gerald Schubert, who is a journalist for the Austrian newspaper Der Standard, a friend and a former colleague of mine. And today we're going to be discussing journalism over the course of Gerald's career in Central Europe and perhaps even earlier than that. So Gerald, if I understand it correctly, you've been working in this field for at least 20 years, and in a range of Central European countries. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, what you felt had changed in the profession in this region over the course of your career? Mainly, it's not even political development. So far, it's more technical development. This is really a big issue. For instance, when I started at Radio Prague, the outcome on the internet was kind of mirroring our broadcasting times so the German department had a broadcast at 2 p.m., for instance, which meant that if something was happening at 12, it didn't get its way on the Internet before 2 or 3, because we first went into the studio, because this was the most important to have this studio recording times. And then what we said on the radio was put somewhere in, on, on the Internet. You can't do that today anymore. So there has been a huge shift in the approach on what you actually do linked to the technical possibilities. And as you know, technical possibilities are far more than possibilities. They are actually compulsory. So you, demands. you can the demands you have to you have to meet to a certain extent. Does that mean more work for the journalist, do you think? Or are there ways in which journalism was equally as demanding, for example, when you began 20 years ago? In this technical development, you don't have advantages without disadvantages and you don't have disadvantages without advantages. It's, of course, more work, but you have much more possibilities to search for stuff, to contact people. You don't need to have such a huge archive for yourself, for your own, because you have a much bigger one on the Internet online available for everybody. So you have a much bigger variety at your disposal. But again, this means that you have to deal in a more maybe for journalists, more demanding way, because you simply have to cover a reality which is so broad and it's all on the internet already. So you have to find the sense in it all and, and putting it together in a proper way. So uh, of course it's more demanding, yeah. But um, on the other hand, you have, you have more possibilities and to have more possibilities again means to have more work with it, but the results are quicker today as they possibly could have been before. Which does not mean, of course, that they are always deeper. I mean, there are there have been very good pieces of journalism even before computers have been even existing. So let's not underestimate that. I wanted to ask you, we've discussed a lot the technical side until now, but about content. Do you think, you know, over these 20 years that you find yourself perhaps addressing themes that were not discussed at all 20 years ago? Or do you find that on the contrary, there are things that you can't right now that maybe 20 years ago were quite standard? Are there ways in which the content that you are producing has fundamentally, thematically changed? Let's take, for instance, the big EU enlargement on in, in, in 1st of May 2004. 
There was a huge festival around it and it was a very nice night and I will always remember it because it was also very important for my personal development and concerning my interest for Eastern Europe. So it was a kind of a highlight. But around this, there was this discourse of, oh, what are all these new countries like? People were curious and the Czech Republic for many people in Germany and Austria, I guess uh, I've been writing for, was quite a terra incognita still and there was a big demand on stories from there, I guess. Now, I think there is some disappointment around this because, as you know, Middle and Eastern countries, to a certain extent, have been become not the most liked ones for some parts of Western European audience. There is a lot of prejudices around. For instance, there is one thing I, I, I quite like to discuss all the time. It's about these Visegrad countries because... In some Western countries, I think big parts of the audience, even of our newspaper, think that they are more or less all the same. And and and, and Visegrad is maybe the black hole in the European Union, not accepting the common rules and stuff like that. This is not true in this very generalized way, because those four countries are completely different, of course. I mean, just to give a few examples, when you take the policy towards Russia, Poland and, and Hungary have almost nothing in common because in Poland there is a quite big Russophobia, whereas Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban and uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin are quite good friends. Slovakia is even part of the Eurozone and the other three countries are not. There are a lot of differences and I think they just created a quite good brand for themselves, which is applicable in migration questions, in migration politics but not really more. And this is something I think is my duty to transmit, to explain to my readers. This time it's more about dissolving prejudices. This was not the case 15 or 20 years ago. You've pointed out that perhaps approaches to public media now differentiate these two countries, the Czech Republic and Austria. Are there other things that you think are fundamentally dissimilar about these media environments, uh, the Austrian one you're currently in and the Czech one that we have around us sitting in this space in Prague? I think the main one, at least when it comes to my own impression or experience, is that in the Czech Republic you still have a quite strong legacy of communist dictatorship, or let's say not of communist dictatorship, but of the anti-communism discourse in the early 90s, which has not ended so far at all, which is, of course, legacy of communist dictatorship and people who have experience with that. I can completely understand that there was a certain backlash developing in the early 90s, but still this has been influencing society in a very strong way and in a very interesting way also. In my opinion, this is mainly a negative development because to a certain extent it's marginalizing discourse about social politics. So if you if you live in a society where you almost can't talk about social politics without being suspect of being a crypto-communist, this is blocking kind of the, the normal European political discourse I've been used to. By the way, for me personally, I think there was even the other aspect, the other way around, because when I came to Prague, which was not directly after the Velvet Revolution in the 90s, this was when I started to learn Czech because I was interested in, but then I moved here in 2001, which was more than 10 years after, but still, for me, there was still this very dynamic atmosphere in Czech society, and I simply loved it. For me, coming from, from Austria, where everything actually was of given. <laughs> I grew up in a complete uh, stable society where everybody 
at his or her place. And of course, you could do some career or whatever, but it was not too exciting. And then I came here and everything was newly invented and mainly young people developed an unbelievable dynamic approach to their lives. This was quite interesting for me as well. I don't want to describe it only negatively. I just wanted to say that it is a problem, as we saw in now in these pre-election campaigns, that social politics are not really a topic. It's more about symbols. It's more about we can't allow to go back to communism. And of course, we can't allow to have Muslim immigrants here. So it's more a whole political discourse. I feel a symbolic overload of political discourse here, which is, has maybe its roots also even before 89, because there was this, this symbolic overload in communist society as well. So let's stick with politics for a minute. You said perhaps some of the things that are making a journalist job harder at the moment are largely technological and maybe not so political. But I would like us to discuss politics in Central Europe right now and how that's impacting journalism. Are you finding increasing political obstacles to your ability to do your own job? And do you see things as being kind of bleak on the political front or not so much? Uh, actually, I do, but maybe not in person. I don't feel threatened because, to be honest, I'm not an investigative uh, journalist. There are other aspects with politicians and maybe not too fun to go to interviews with public media because they actually are not fond of public media at all and because they feel threatened by their maybe sometimes investigative approach. And you could say, of course, that no, this is nothing in common. So, I mean, in, in Slovakia, this was the murder of a journalist and the other thing is normal stuff that has been happening in the last decades as well. But I would say that the scale is very broad and you never know where one part of the scale ends and the next one begins. And of course, the real murder of a journalist is the worst thing that can happen. But I would just be quite careful to connect it too much with this East-West discourse because a little bit earlier there was a journalist in, in, in Malta, which is not a classical Eastern European country as we understand it, uh, and, and she was murdered as well. We also saw how Donald Trump in the USA dealt with media that didn't fit into his picture, was uh, was considered as, as fake news. We see what Boris Johnson rhetorics uh, towards BBC, which he doesn't like too much. So I think once politicians see a possibility to address their audience without any elites, which is a classical symptom of populism, and they can't do that via social media, then the journalists are the first victims of this development. This doesn't mean that I feel threatened. I guess nobody will, will want to punish me for something I wrote because he or she doesn't like it. But it's a problem when you have the impression that your work is doubted by a lot of people who react on it, who are maybe paid for it by people who organize trolls on the internet. All right, Gerald Schubert, thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. You have been listening to the Transformative Podcast produced by Red Set in Vienna.